Hi everyone and welcome back to Where Joy Blooms, a podcast where we talk openly and honestly about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. Our aim is to have real discussions about the challenges, highs, lows and experiences that we all may face along this phase in our lives as parents or parents-to-be. We hope this podcast can help you feel better supported and less alone as you embark or navigate parenthood. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, then don't hesitate to flick us a message or an email. We'll put the details in the description. Okay, before we get started today, we would like to acknowledge the land we meet on today is the traditional land of the Ghana people. We respect their spiritual relationship with their country and cultural beliefs. We acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and happy Thursday. I just wanted to start off by saying thank you to everyone that has reached out or provided some feedback from our episodes so far, um, particularly last week's. Um, I had lots of people reaching out saying that they really enjoyed listening to my miscarriage story. Um, Obviously it wasn't, I guess, the happiest story, um, but yeah, hopefully it was a bit more uh, educational for people and also just help people that have been through it before or might be currently going through it or if you're ever unfortunately in that situation in the future. Um, yeah, just make you feel, I guess, supported and like you're not alone. Um, and this week we're going to be talking about my pregnancies and births with my two beautiful girls and this will be a lot happier um, content and yeah hope you guys enjoy it might not be quite as interesting I suppose I mean I guess it's just a bit more mundane and straightforward Um, but yeah I do talk about my experience with a c-section and yeah just a couple of I guess little minor things that have came across in my pregnancies Um, So, yeah, hopefully it'll still be somewhat interesting to you all and hope you enjoy. Let's get on with it. Okay. Britt, let's talk about your pregnancy with Hallie now. When did you find out you were pregnant with Hallie and kind of like what signs of pregnancy did you have? Well, actually, we kind of struggled to get pregnant. Or I say struggled, but when I, you know, we didn't really struggle that hard in comparison to people that, you know, have to go through infertility and, um, you know, IVF and all of that kind of stuff. So we were quite fortunate that we didn't have to go down that path. But I think after the DNC, they had told us to wait for two normal period cycles and then we could start trying again. And that was because obviously they've gone in, they've cleared out your uterus, they've completely stripped the lining of the uterus. Um, And so, yeah, you just needed to have those two period cycles to get the hormones back to normal um, and, yeah, just to get, I guess, that... um, process in the uterus back to normal so that it could actually hold a pregnancy as well so yeah we kind of waited those two months and then yeah we decided that we wanted to 
try again kind of straight away. And so, yeah, I started tracking my periods after that point, but it actually took a long time after the DNC before I got my first period. And I don't know if it was because I have pretty long cycles and sort of irregular periods in general, or if it was just my body's way of processing and adjusting to obviously the procedure, the pregnancy and everything that happened. Um, so, yeah, by the time I got my period back, it was, yeah, it, it felt like we were waiting forever. Um, so I did find myself getting really stressed out about it and I don't know if you know anyone else that's experienced a pregnancy loss has felt this way but I almost felt like I needed to be pregnant ASAP like I I didn't want to replace the pregnancy but because I was pregnant one day and then the next day I just wasn't pregnant anymore it's a really big adjustment like even though I didn't have a big bump or anything at that point of time, I just felt like I wanted to be pregnant again as soon as possible. Yeah. And how long did it take for you to conceive Hallie? I think it took, so we had the DNC at the end of February, towards the end of February, I think it was. And then we ended up conceiving in October. Yeah, so, so what's that? Like about eight months? Eight months. Yeah. yeah. So um, in this period, we – so Jared had actually proposed to me a couple of months after the miscarriage and I think the reason that he did was obviously because you know he wanted to marry me but also (laughs) because I think what we had been through just really shone a light on you know this is my person this is my forever person um we were you know about to have a baby together um you know we knew that we wanted to spend our lives together and so yeah he had proposed to me and we kind of started the process of wedding planning and we had originally planned to get married in the October of the following year um but I was just getting so stressed out with everything that was going on with obviously trying to get pregnant and it not happening but then Also, I was stressed out about wedding planning and, you know, trying to keep everyone happy, um, trying to organise, you know, bridesmaid dresses that would be suitable for everyone and, um, yeah, all of that kind of fun stuff that comes with planning a wedding. And so I ended up saying to Jared, like, this is just too much for me. Like, I just, I, I don't think my mental health can handle this. Like, I really feel like the reason we're not, falling pregnant is because I am too stressed out and I am too stuck in my head about everything and something has to change yeah and so yeah I kind of had said to myself let's just get married like let's just elope and so he was on board with that because as you said before Jared is a man of few words (laughs) he's a bit of a quiet type Um, And so he was, I think, a little bit nervous about 
you know, standing up in front of everyone, saying bows and all of that kind of stuff because he doesn't really like, you know, the spotlight on him. And so that was a bit scary to him. And so the thought of sort of eloping was, um, yeah, he was definitely on board with that. And so we kind of started looking into how we could make this happen. And so my family, like my immediate family, were coming down to Adelaide because I was actually graduating from my postgrad degree. Um, yeah, so they were coming down for my graduation and I said to Jared, let's do it the day after my graduation. And this was on a Thursday. So, you know, not typically when people get married, not a weekend or anything like that. And I said, let's get married and we'll just have our immediate fam- family there. So, you know, my parents, my brother um, and his dad and his brother and then my grandparents were also going to be in town. So we'll like, we'll have them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just, yeah, getting on to making all of that happen. And then, um, yeah, we got married on the Thursday. And then funnily enough, because this was obviously a last minute thing, I didn't have time off of work. So I had kind of last minute had to ask work if I could have Thursday off and said, like, I'm getting married. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, of course, like you need you need it off then, don't you? But I actually had to go to work on the Friday and then I was actually working that Saturday. <laughs> So, um, yeah, we got married and then went straight back to work. It was, yeah, it was great. (laughs) But on on the Saturday at work, um, I was just, we actually had like, I guess you would call her a student. She was just coming to observe on Saturday mornings to see if this was, you know, what she wanted to do. And so she was there on that Saturday and she had kind of said to me, oh, like, you know, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you can make sense of everything. Like, how do you know that that's the uterus? How do you know that that's the ovaries? And I was just kind of explaining to her, you know, it just takes practice and experience. And she said, do you mind if I have a try on you? And so I said, yeah, like, sure, no worries. And so as she was you know, looking at my pelvis and having a look at my ovaries and stuff, I noticed that I had a dominant follicle. And a dominant follicle usually means that you are close to ovulation. And so I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, this is the perfect time. Like, basically, I need to go home and have sex. (laughs) And so, yeah, I... I got home that day. I was telling Jared, I'm like, look, I think I'm close to ovulation. Like, you know, you know, we need to have sex this weekend. And so I think, yeah, we ended up having sex on that Saturday. And then I think on the Monday too. So it was the October long weekend. Um, Yeah. So it was either the Saturday or the Monday that we conceived. And it was, yeah, just right after our wedding. And then, so how did you find out you were pregnant? So what kind of happened? What was the lead up? to you finding that out? Well, I was late for my period, but I had the period symptoms. Like I was very crampy. I had a lot of back pain. It felt like my period was coming, um, but it just, yeah, like it just every day kept rolling around and it still wasn't here. And because I 
at this stage I was still having very irregular cycles from after the DNC. I guess I didn't really know, I suppose, if my period was truly late or not. Um, but, yeah, I guess it had been more than the standard 28 days. I think we were maybe up to, like, day 35, which, as I said before, my cycles were usually about 35 to 37 days anyway. So technically not really late for me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it had gotten to about day 35 and I was like, I just feel so crampy, so much back pain. Like, is my period coming or not? And I had actually messaged you um, and I had said, like, I don't know if I'm pregnant or not because we were planning to go out for an event that night. We had an event on. and um, Because we were talking about this at the gym in the morning, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And I was, you know, we were both going to have a few drinks at this event. So um, I just kind of, yeah, I said to you, like, I don't want to drink if I'm pregnant. Or in a way, I didn't really want to drink anyway because – we were trying so I was trying you know not to drink um but I think yeah just in the back of my mind I wanted to know if I was pregnant or not before I went out so you were like just do a test just do one and just see and yeah so then I did a test and it was positive and I was actually quite shocked because I really did think that my period was coming it was a very exciting time, I will admit. I was like, right, and I honestly didn't expect it to be positive. I thought we were just going to go out and have a good night. And then Britt messaged me and goes, uh, it's positive. <laughs> I didn't know if oh my I God, should here we go. tell you either because, you know, you know what happened. Like, you were obviously there with me on the journey of what happened yeah. last time. And I had that in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, this time around, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm not going to tell anyone that I'm pregnant until after 12 weeks after we've had all of the testing and the scans and everything's normal. And I know that, honestly, even though people say, like, the first 12 weeks, like, after 12 weeks you're safe, you're never safe. Like, there's no point in pregnancy that you can really relax and be like, okay, my baby's going to be fine because, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of things that can happen. And obviously you don't want to think that way. You don't want to be in a negative headspace. But, um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was adamant that I wasn't going to tell anyone. But because we had discussed it in the morning at the gym, I was like, well, I need to tell you. I can't just pretend like I took a test and it was negative. <laughs> well, that and we were going out within, like, we were going to an event and there was, like, supplied alcohol as well. Yeah. So if you weren't drinking, I would have been like, I already know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You would have been on me. And I think that's the hard thing is when people know that you're trying to have a baby, they're very on you about those kind of things. I'll be like, why are you not drinking? Are you pregnant? I feel like that's just the standard thing for literally everybody, though. This was something that people realised with me. Like, I didn't – I don't often drink anyway, and yet – People noticed with me at work, we happened to go out for work drinks and I was not drinking and they said to my friend, Emma's pregnant, isn't she? And I wasn't even trying. (laughs) So I think it's just a common thing. If a girl's not drinking, people assume they're pregnant. Yeah, people just jump to conclusions. (laughs) Yeah, people are automatically like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so from there, kind of how did you feel about this? Because obviously – you had just gone through this loss and now you're pregnant. What were your thoughts and feelings behind it? 
Yeah, so obviously I had a lot of anxiety around it all. Um, I guess in my head I was worried that the same thing would happen and even though they had said, look, we don't think there's any reason why it would happen again, it was just bad luck and this time around I was trying to do, you know, everything right. I was taking the prenatal vitamins, I was, you know, looking after myself, I was, you know, trying not to drink um yeah all of that kind of stuff it was still in the back of my mind that something would go wrong not necessarily the same thing but you know an early miscarriage or anything really and yeah this pregnancy as well was not all that smooth sailing so yeah about a week after I found out that I was pregnant I was at work and I felt myself bleed so you know kind of like when you get your period and like you if it's heavy you kind of you can feel the blood leaking from you it was that kind of feeling like I had still had the cramps and the back pain and all of that for that whole week after I found out I was pregnant um and so yeah it still felt like my period was coming and so yeah when I was at work and I had that bleed I obviously thought the worst I was like oh no you know it hasn't the pregnancy hasn't stuck like you know I've had a miscarriage like I'm having a miscarriage and so I was trying not to be upset about it and I was trying not to get my hopes up about it but you know I mean you know as soon as you find out you're pregnant you're excited you're happy you're attached you're thinking about what they're going to look like, if they're going to be a boy or a girl, if they're going to look like you or your partner, you know, all of these things kind of like just happen immediately without even noticing. And so even though I was trying really hard to not get, I guess, too excited about the pregnancy or too attached to it, um, I knew deep down that I already was. So, yeah, I was freaking out after I had that bleed. I remember you messaging me about it. A few times as well yeah how stressed you were and I'm looking back on it now I realized how stupid it was and I was like don't stress you'll be fine <laughs> and I remember saying to you when I was pregnant I was like oh my god I'm so sorry for telling you not to stress <laughs> what a stupid thing to say it's so hard though because it's one of those things that you honestly don't know what it's like until you've been through it yeah exactly yeah but um yeah because I was only approximately five to six weeks at this stage, um, there wasn't really anything I could do. Like if I if I was going to have a miscarriage, I was going to have a miscarriage, you know. Like you can't prevent a miscarriage. You can't stop a miscarriage from happening. And so I, yeah, I went to my doctor and like I told her about the bleed. And when I had the bleed, I guess I should mention it was like quite a lot of blood and it was um, like bright red, like I guess the dark red period type blood um it wasn't like spotting it wasn't like discharge or anything like that it was like blood blood um and it was yeah it was quite a lot of blood but then after that it kind of it just stopped it went away like I didn't have any more bleeding after that point and so yeah I went to the doctor I told her about the bleed and she yeah kind of said to me what I already knew she was like look you're still pretty early on so there's not much we can do like there's no point in having an ultrasound because you're not far enough along that we would be able to confirm that there's a live pregnancy 
Um, so unfortunately, it's just a waiting game. She said, what we'll do is we will do your bloods. We'll check your bloods. Um, and then, yeah, just going to basically sit and wait until you're about eight weeks and then have your dating scan. So, yeah, that's what we did. We checked my bloods and she said, look, your bloods are really good. Like they've gone, they've risen normally. Um, so, yeah, that's not alarming there. Um, so, yeah, all we can do now is wait. And so that wait, which was, yeah, about two to three weeks, felt like a lifetime. Yeah. It was, And yeah. so you had a dating scan, is that right? Yes, I did. And how did the scan go? So at the dating scan, I was about eight weeks again and, um, yeah, everything, I guess, went as well as it could. There was a live pregnancy there. Um, there was a massive um, bleed uh, around the sac. Um, so actually at this point, the bleed was bigger than the pregnancy sac itself. And so... I guess that's where all the blood had come from. And this is a common thing that we see in a lot of um, pregnancies, especially in the first trimester. Um, we call them like a perisac bleed or a perisac hemorrhage. Um, and, yeah, sometimes they can just happen from the way that the egg has implanted into the endometrium. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so I guess... You said with your first pregnancy that you were scanning yourself, obviously. Obviously, that's difficult to do. Were you doing the same thing with Hallie or were you too nervous to continue to do that? What Were you continuing to scan yourself? or? Um, I did a few times, yeah, for sure. But I think mostly in the later stages with Hallie. So I was trying, because I was already so anxious about this pregnancy, I was trying not to add to that by constantly checking up on her. Yeah. So when I first had that bleed, I was at work when it happened, so I did check myself. I checked myself and I could see a tiny little pregnancy sac there and a ginormous bleed. And so I knew at this point that I was too early to be able to see an actual baby, let alone a baby with a heartbeat. So, um, yeah, all I, could, all I could do was say, like, look, there is still a sac there, the sac the sac's still there, that means that the sac hasn't passed, so this yep. is a good sign. Um, but, yeah, from that point onwards, I was trying not to, yeah, not to look at it um, and I just kind of waited until that 12-week scan and then when I had the 12-week scan, the bleed had almost completely gone away. So, yeah, that was really good. It was a good and outcome. Did you have a harmony test with this pregnancy? Because obviously your last pregnancy, there were some genetic abnormalities. Did you immediately go, yep, yeah, we want to get a harmony test this time? Yes, yes, we did. So straight away we had, yeah, basically said for all future pregnancies, we are just going to get a um, harmony test done. And so, yeah, we did that um, at 10 weeks um, and that came back low risk, which was a sigh of relief. And we also decided that we wanted to know the gender. So, um, yeah, we found out that Hallie was a girl at that point as well. And then, yeah, we had our 12-week um, scan and first trimester screening and that all came back low risk as well. So it was, yeah. 
a lot smoother from that point onwards. Did you feel a lot more positive after you got these results back? And obviously it was looking all low risk. Did you start to feel a little bit more like at ease and take a sigh of relief? Yeah, definitely. I I felt like after that I could finally kind of just let go a little bit and enjoy the pregnancy. I mean, I I still enjoyed my pregnancy even though I felt anxious for that first trimester. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't really, I guess, sit back and enjoy just enjoy being pregnant until I knew that all of the scans and the assessments had come back low risk. So, yeah, once that came back, I felt a lot better. And did you then feel like it was okay to, I guess, announce to people that you were pregnant? Like once you've hit your 12 weeks and you're coming all back, did you feel like I can tell people or did you, how did you go about things after that? Because obviously the first time around you kind of told a few people and you said that you kind of wish you hadn't a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think initially I kind of went into it being like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone until I'm like over halfway. But, you know, when you get there, it's just not that realistic, especially for me. Like I'm a pretty small, like thin person. And so I felt like I was showing quite early on. Like I... I mean, I look back on photos now when I think that I had a bump and I think, like, was that even a bump? I don't know. Maybe I was just crazy. (laughs) But at the time, like, I felt like it was quite noticeable. Like, I was like, oh, I'm starting to show. Like, people are going to notice. I think you were showing, though, because I remember people – well, I remember – I think I remember when you announced it, actually, now that I think about it. But I remember New Year's Eve, I reckon people were like, Britt looks like she has a bump. Yeah, like I definitely was showing fairly early and I even remember like some of my family and stuff making comments to me on Christmas saying like, are you sure it's not twins and stuff like that because they felt like I was showing more than I should have been. But I guess everything's relative, everyone carries differently and I think that because I am naturally quite a thin person, like, yeah, I was just always going to be like that. Yeah. Um. Now, were you monitored closely with Hallie after your first pregnancy? Like, did they take extra, I guess, precautions surrounding you? No, not really. Well, yes and no. I mean, they had said to me that I was considered high risk until all of my testing came back to prove that it wasn't high risk. And so... I was going through the high-risk section at the hospital, but I didn't know that at the time because this was my, I guess, first experience going through the hospital because when I was pregnant the first time, I had never really gotten to the point where I was having the the midwife care. I um, Everything was just through the GP with that. Um, so this time around, like going to the hospital for my midwife's appointment, midwife appointments I didn't know that that was not the I guess usual protocol to me it was normal it wasn't until I had spoken to a few other people um, like mum friends that I had made after I had Hallie that went through the same hospital that I realized they were in a different section to me oh so yes so technically yes I was in the high risk section the entire time but I just didn't realize So 
I guess when you compared it to your other friend's care, what was different? Um, I think the only difference was that they were in a different section. So they were in the low risk section and they only saw midwives. They never saw obstetricians. I think they only had a few scheduled obstetrician appointments at certain weeks. Um, whereas I think I saw an obstetrician for every single appointment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so was the rest of your pregnancy with Hallie kind of smooth or were there any other complications or concerns? Yeah, it was pretty smooth. I mean, I quite enjoyed being pregnant. I, um, yeah, kind of after 16 weeks, the nausea sort of went around, like went away, died down quite a bit. And um, yeah, I felt pretty good. I think I always had that, you know, heightened smells where you're sensitive to everything. Again, it was like perfumes, really, that was the killer for me. Um, So yeah, couldn't use any of that. But um, yeah, I felt pretty good otherwise. I felt nice and healthy, active, not too sore. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed being pregnant. Um, I liked having a pregnant belly. Um, and yeah, it was pretty smooth. We didn't really have any other complications. Uh, the only thing that came up was the fact that she was breech. Um, now, did you, how did you want to birth? Did you go through a public hospital? I don't know if you already mentioned that or not. Yeah, so we did go through just the local public hospital, like the one that was closest to our house. Yeah. Okay. Which, so we were at the same hospital then. Yes. <laughs> Which is just like our local bigger type hospital. Yep. And did you have a birth plan? Um, did you have like an ideal scenario of how you wanted to birth? Uh, yes and no. Um, I had, you know, ideally, like I think most women sort of go into um, it thinking that they'll have a vaginal birth. And so I, yeah, I was like, you know, I want to have a vaginal birth. I want to try and, you know, go as long as I can without having pain relief or intervention. But obviously I'll listen to my body um, and I wasn't against anything in particular. Like I had, you know, done some reading, looked into epidurals, pros and cons, all of that kind of stuff, had spoken to um, some colleagues at work that had kids about their experiences, what they did, what they didn't do, etc. tried to like really educate myself around that sort of space. Um, and, yeah, I had decided that I wanted to try and go um, intervention-free if I could, but, yeah, if I needed to have an epidural, then I'd have an epidural kind of thing. So I was I was pretty open-minded. Yeah. And to put some context on this, um, just for this next question, Hallie was due pretty much right around the time COVID was pretty bad. And so did you have any prenatal classes? Like were they being offered at the hospital at the time or no. what was the go? No, we didn't. Well, yes, we did, but they were all online. So, yeah, like you said, this was like peak COVID. So when we conceived, there was no COVID around. And so, yeah, when I got pregnant, I, you know, I didn't think that a ginormous pandemic was going to hit us and turn everything on its head. 
So, um, yeah, uh, I guess it was that was hard just navigating that because a lot of the things that the hospital usually offer were no longer on offer. So things like a tour of the birthing department um, and all of that, no, that was gone, couldn't do that. So I literally didn't even know where I was supposed to go or present to if I went into labour. Oh, wow. I was kind of like, where do I even go? <laughs> so, oh yeah, God. so that that was cancelled. Um, then, yeah, all of the antenatal classes were cancelled, but then they did offer um, like an online course. So, basically, it was – I don't even think it was – someone from the local hospital like it was literally just videos that I think they found online educational videos online that they had kind of made available to us um so yeah I did watch them and look they were okay but I didn't really find it that beneficial if I'm being honest um because she couldn't interact or ask questions or anything like that I just, yeah, didn't find it to be that helpful. Yeah. So you really had nothing. You were just going into it very blind. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I had done all of my own sort of research and stuff. I was um, watching One Born Every Minute for like days and days, just trying to prepare myself for you know, every possible outcome. I wanted to see a whole range of births, wanted to see people that used intervention, didn't use intervention, you know, people that had had C-sections. Yeah, just kind of see what it was like. And it was really interesting because it really puts into context just how different labour can be for each person. Like some of them were absolutely screaming in pain and then others were just like really quiet and really chill and and I was just like, ooh, like what what type of, uh, you know, labour person am I going to be? Yeah. It's kind of insane actually. I remember when I was in the birthing unit as well, I could hear people screaming and I was like, oh, my God, like I didn't really have a context at this point either and oh my god just the different ways that people can birth (laughs) yeah yeah it is insane um now you mentioned already that Hallie was breech so how did you actually deliver Hallie did you go into labor naturally or spontaneously or what kind of had to happen what was the process yeah so I had had a feeling that Hallie was breached from quite early on so I reckon I was about 26 28 weeks when I started feeling like, oh, is this a head up here in my ribs? Um, And I guess like, you know, a head is round, a bum is round. I was like, I don't know if this is a head or a bum. Like I'm not an expert. Um, And so I had mentioned at my appointment, I think it was around 28 weeks because, yeah, that's when you do like the gestational diabetes test and stuff. So it must have been kind of around that similar time frame. And I had said to them, um, oh, I think she might be breech. And then they checked and they said, oh, she might be not quite sure. Maybe she's a bit more transverse, but it doesn't matter yet. Like you're still pretty early, plenty of time for her to turn. So I was just kind of like, okay, like whatever. 
Um, and then, yeah, like as the weeks went on, I was like, oh, I don't think she's turned. I feel like she's still in the same position. And by this point, it was pretty obvious that it was her head. Like I could feel her head moving from side to side in my rib cage. And um, I checked at work and I basically just put the camera on where I thought her head was to see if it was a head or a bum. And it was a head. And I was like, okay, she's definitely breech. Um, so yeah, I kept mentioning it at my appointments and again, they just didn't really seem to care too much until I got to 36 weeks. So fairly close to delivering at this point. Yeah. So then at 36 weeks, one of the midwives finally took me seriously because they kept saying like, oh no, she's probably just more transverse. Like she'll move, she'll turn, she'll be fine. Um, yeah, so finally at 36 weeks, a midwife took me seriously and was like, yep, she's definitely breech. We're going to send you for a scan so we can see the exact position that she's in because even though they're in a breech position, there's different types of breech positions. So, you know, they can be feet first, they can be bum first, they can have one foot down and one foot up. So all of that stuff, I guess, impacts whether you can have a vaginal delivery, whether you can have um the process where they try to manually turn the baby into a head first position um so yeah so they were like look we're going to send you for a scan and we'll see exactly what position she's in and we'll go from there so I had that scan done and it confirmed that yeah she was breech and she had one foot tucked under her bum and one foot stretched right above her head oh lovely (laughs) so Yeah, I just, I had to go back in, I think it was the day after the scan, actually. Um, I just went into the women's assessment unit. So it wasn't like the midwife section where you usually go. And so, yeah, I just went back to the women's assessment unit and they just discussed the results with me and they had said, look, you know, this is the position she's in. We don't think that trying to turn her is a good idea because she does have one foot stretched up above, like in front of her face, there is a risk that we could potentially break her leg when we try to turn her. Oh, wow. And so before I even went to this appointment, I had already made up my mind that I didn't want to try and turn her because as soon as they had mentioned that was possibly an option, I did lots of research into it and I found that it wasn't very successful. So it had a less than 50% success rate. And even the the, um, occasions where they had got baby to turn, within a week they had turned back to breach. Yeah. So I just... way of being... Yeah. So I had just kind of said to myself, like, nope, she's obviously in this position for a reason, you know, maybe her cord isn't long enough for her to turn. May, you know, there could be a reason that she's in this position. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of like, if she wants to turn, she will turn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just said, look, I didn't, I don't want to do the manual turning. And, yeah, luckily enough, they sort of agreed and said that they didn't think that the risk was worth it. Um And so, yeah, they said usually in this situation we would do a scheduled C-section at about 39 weeks 
because we do not want you to go into labour. Yeah. So now I know that there's plenty of people out there that have had a vaginal birth with a breech baby and that is totally fine but this hospital their protocol was that they do not deliver breech babies if it's your first um, pregnancy like the first time you've given birth um, because um, I guess there's just an extra risk that it will end up in an emergency c-section because yeah you've you you know you've never had a dilated cervix before you've never pushed out a baby before um that initial yeah initial time is usually the hardest so yeah I was I was quite happy with that I mean I had made my peace at it by that stage I say I was quite happy but I actually wasn't happy a few weeks prior so a few weeks prior I remember I was on the phone to my mum I was actually bouncing on my yoga bowl at the time and I was talking to my mum saying like why is she breech like all I wanted to do was have a vaginal birth like you know I was really upset about it and my mum had to have a c-section with me because I was breech oh and okay, so, really yeah and so she had said to me like look you know it's not the, the the worst thing in the world um you know I know it's disheartening for you I know this isn't what you planned but all you can do is you know try to do some exercises try to see if you can get her to turn and if she doesn't turn she doesn't turn she was the one that said to me you know maybe she's in this position for a reason and yeah. so yeah once I had kind of wrapped my head around the fact that okay I wasn't going to have a vaginal birth um, I started to yeah feel a bit better about the c-section I guess it was just scary because a C-section is a pretty major surgery and I've never been through it before. I didn't know what to expect. And so, yeah, it was just scary. And so what is the process with the cesarean? I had a natural delivery, so I'm kind of not sure what actually happened. So talk me through what happened with your cesarean. So I had to go in at 7am. So admission, admissions was at 7 and you have to fast from the night before. And so, yeah, I had gone in, got up early, didn't get any sleep the night before because, you know, I was anxious. I was laying there awake being like, oh, my God, I'm having a baby tomorrow. Um, and so, yeah, like we went in. And I just remember feeling like I was waiting there for so long I didn't have Hallie until about 12 o'clock so you know it was a fair wait and especially when you have been fasting for so long I was starving all I could think about was how hungry I was oh my god I can imagine (laughs) so I was I took some um crossword puzzle books and stuff with me so me and Jared were just sitting there doing puzzles like sudokus and crosswords and like I was trying to distract my brain from being hungry but basically they come in in the morning um and they get you changed into a gown so everything off including your underwear um and put a gown on and then they put these really tight compression socks on your legs um to help like reduce the chances of blood clots and things like that um and they also insert a catheter So they put a catheter in so that your bladder is completely empty because they don't want the bladder to be in the way for the surgery. Mm -hmm. So I was 
a bit anxious about the catheter actually because I've never had a catheter put in before and obviously they're inserting like a tube into your um, pee hole. So I was like, is this going to hurt? I don't know. And it didn't hurt, but it was a very, very strange feeling. It felt almost like a UTI. Like it felt like you needed to constantly pee, but like obviously you couldn't pee. Like you, you know, you can't go to the toilet and do a wee because you've got a catheter in that's draining everything out. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was a really strange feeling. And I remember the midwife saying, like, you know, how does it feel? And I was like, it just feels like it's really annoying me. Like it's uncomfortable. And she said, don't worry. Once you have like the spinal for your C-section, then you'll be numb. You won't be able to feel it. And by the time that wears off, you'll forget that the catheter is there. Okay. And so luckily that's what happened. <laughs> that's so interesting. That yeah. It felt like that. Yeah, it's it's a really strange feeling. Wow. Um, but yeah, basically it was just a waiting game. So I just kind of sat there in my bed waiting, waiting, and then the um obstetrician that was going to do the C section came in to see me, had a little chat. She said, Look, we're just gonna check Bub's position to see if she is still breech. Um and then yeah, she put the machine on. Cause I had said to them, if she's not breech, what does that mean? Like, will you still do the C section? Will you send me home and say, Look, she's not breech anymore, so go home and come back when you're in labor or will you induce me because I'm already here like what will happen and they said it's completely up to you whatever you want to do um and yeah anyway we didn't really discuss that because she was still breech and I I knew that she was still breech because I could I would be able to tell if she had moved yeah and I guess you've really kind of answered one of my questions I had and it was about Jared, pretty big COVID. So was he able to be with you the entire time? Yes. Yeah. So he was. So the current rules were that you could only have one support person with you throughout the entire process. And I guess because I wasn't delivering vaginally or, um, you know, in labour, there was none of that active labour stuff. So, um, yeah, he was allowed to be there with me the entire time. But he had to go home. I think technically the visiting hours close at like 7pm or something like that. But they pretty much let him stay until he wanted to afterwards. Um, Yeah, they didn't really care too much. They weren't too strict on that. And how did it go during the cesarean? So I guess like talk me through what happened and how you were feeling. Yeah, so I think like you know, I was obviously feeling quite nervous, but yeah, once it was go time, they, cause they had kind of come around in the morning and they said, look, I think you're probably going to go in around 11 o'clock. You're third on the list or something like that. So yeah, they came up and got me, they got, they basically take you up to theater. You wait sort of in the, I guess the waiting bay section for theater. And then the anaesthetist comes out and talks to you. You sign some consent forms um, for the anaesthetic um, and they also put a cannula in your hand um, because they hook you up to like an antibiotic drip during the C-section. I think that's just to, you know, prevent any infection or anything. Um, So, yeah, so they put the drip in, had a bit of a chat to me 
and then yeah went in when I got in there I had to I, I guess it's very similar to an epidural so I guess you would kind of know the position that you have to be in you have to be like sitting on the edge of the bed with your back hunched over a bit yeah um and obviously I wasn't in labor so I didn't have to worry about you know having contractions during that period I don't yeah I could just be nice and still and just in the zone so yeah I was just kind of had my feet on a on a chair um Jared was sitting right there with me as well and yeah I was just kind of holding his hand and yeah I was just trying to be like strong and brave and they had a student anaesthetist oh yes um who was actually doing the spinal block and so when I kind of heard that I must admit I was slightly nervous about it, Um, but, no, she was amazing. Um, It felt a little bit stingy. They do like a local, like they put it in, do a local. You can feel the the local going in. It's that, you know, stingy feeling. And then they put the spinal block in and you feel the pressure of it, but I wouldn't really say it hurt. It wasn't painful. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't think so. But yeah, you feel the you feel the pressure of it and so quickly my I could feel it go straight down my bum and my legs and my legs were just like numb, like very, very quickly. Um and then yeah, they kind of just lift your legs up and spin you onto the bed because you can't feel them. Um and yeah, then they do a few tests to make sure that you're numb and that you can't feel. So there's actually three different tests that they do. So one of them is um, the cold test. So they have like basically like a piece of ice or an ice pack and they start off kind of on your cheek and they say, can you feel this? Is it cold? You say yes, because you can feel your cheek. Because basically the spinal is supposed to make you numb from like the boobs down. Okay, so they put it on your cheek so that you know how it feels um, and then they gradually put it, like move it down your body. So they'll put it on your chest, um, on your belly, um, on your legs and then you kind of say like if it's cold or if it's not cold. And so they do that until basically it's numb for all of the parts that they want it to be numb for mm-hmm. so that you can't feel it. And then the second tests that they do, they don't really tell you that they're doing them. They tell you beforehand, but they don't really tell you while they're doing it. But basically just before they're about to um, cut you open, they put like that dressing on, like the antiseptic cleaning agent stuff that's that lovely pink colour. Yeah. Um, And apparently that is really cold as well. So they kind of put that all on you. And if that's not cold, you can't feel it, which I didn't feel. I could feel them um, like spreading it around, I guess you could say, but it wasn't cold. Yeah. So you can like the sensation, I guess. Yeah. So you can feel the sensation of like pulling, tugging, that kind of thing, but you can't feel pain or heat or cold or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's a very, yeah, it's a very strange sensation. And then the third test is before they do the cut, they actually um, use like the sharp knife to just make a little tiny cut first. Oh, okay. Just to make sure that you can't feel it. And so, yeah, I didn't even know that they were doing any of that stuff. I didn't feel it at all. Um, 
Another thing I should mention is when you're when they're doing the C-section, they basically strap your arms down onto boards so your arms are straight out um, to your sides and okay. they're on like these boards and they strap you down so that you can't move your arms. Oh, wow. So that I was... I they do that. Well, I think it's to avoid you interfering with the procedure. So like if you try to grab something or... Yeah, I guess if something happens, if you crash or, you know, oh, yeah, anything, anything like that. Yeah, I had Jared um, sitting up at the head, so they gave him like a little chair and he just kind of sat next to my head. Um, and, yeah, like he could, you know, hold my hand or do whatever. But, yeah, one arm was connected to the antibiotic drip and then the other arm had a blood pressure cuff on it, which automatically just took my blood pressure and stuff every so often. Okay. Um. And then I ha- they had they put like a big blue sheet up so that you can't actually see anything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, then they did the process, and I honestly because I couldn't feel anything, I didn't even know that they had really cut me open or started until I could feel them pulling and tugging and pushing on my belly. So they have to basically push the baby out and pull the baby out. Oh wow. Um. And they were pushing on my abdomen and my, like my belly. And I felt like my ribs were going to break. Like it, it was like a really kind of, I guess, strong pushing sensation that I felt like my ribs could break. It was really, it was really weird. Like I knew that obviously they weren't going to, I think it was just like the pressure of the baby being up there and everything else. But yeah, yeah, like. I felt them pushing, tugging, pulling um, for quite a while and then, um, yeah, I heard her cry and then, yeah, at that point, like as soon as she cried, they kind of pulled the sheet down and they lifted her up and they were like, here's your baby. They let you watch her and see her for a while and they kind of, um, they kind of just hold her there in the air for um a couple of minutes because they do like the delayed cord clamping. Yeah. So yeah, like provided that everything's okay and they can do that. Um, so yeah, they just kind of held her there for a bit. Um, and then, yeah, they clamped the cord and then moved her over and then a, uh, pediatrician assessed her, um, did all of her, you know, vitals and stuff, made sure she was okay. Jared went over there and, cut the cord now when I say cut the cord it's not like he didn't cut the cord from the placenta the placenta like she was already detached from the placenta but they still leave like a bit of cord there for him to cut okay so he just cuts like the bit for the belly button yeah um and then yeah once that was done and like they made sure that she was you know breathing okay and healthy they came over and they put her straight on my chest oh wow and yeah. so did you get some skin-to-skin contact with her or an initial breastfeed? Yeah, so it wasn't really skin-to-skin at that point because she was wrapped in a blanket and I did have a gown on, but they kind of tried to, um, yeah, like expose some of her skin and my skin so that we were touching. Um, and I just remember her, so she was crying for a little bit but then she was kind of, she was really content just on my chest. It was kind of like, oh, this is my mum. And she just like, yeah, she snuggled in. 
but she was like a little fish. She had her mouth open and she was ready. She was ready to feed. Oh, wow. It, it was amazing. Like you think about like, you know, they've been inside of your belly for nine months. They haven't breastfed. Like they don't know how to breastfeed, but yet they come out with this instinct that they need to, yeah, they need to latch onto something. They need to feed. And it was like, yeah, I was so amazed by it. And I actually said to the nurses and stuff that were in with me, I said, can I latch her on? Can I breastfeed her? And obviously I had never breastfed before, so I didn't, you know, know what I was doing. But they kind of said, oh, you know, we'll do that in recovery because it's it's going to be hard for you to feed when you're lying flat. Yeah. So yeah. because I was lying basically flat down, they said, you know, just have some cuddles um, while they stitch you up. And once you're all stitched up, we'll move you up to recovery and then you can, yeah, you can breastfeed her. We'll do the first breastfeed. Okay. And so, yeah, it was probably, it probably took them maybe 15 minutes to stitch it all up. But that whole time she was just on my chest. They never took her away from me. And yeah, then they basically just do like a slide, like they just slide you across to your bed because you still have no feeling. Um, And then, yeah, they put the back of the bed up and took me up to recovery. While I was in recovery, um, I got assigned a midwife. Um, and then, yeah, she stayed with me while I was in recovery and she just quickly did like a height and weight, um, and head circumference for Hallie. Um, and then she, yeah, put her on, put her, gave her back to me and said, do you want to try and do your first breastfeed? She helped me sort of latch her on, but yeah, she just latched on straight away. Like it was like, she just knew what she was doing. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I felt very lucky in that regard that, yeah, she latched on. She was feeding well. Um, And, yeah, it went really smoothly from there. I did have to stay in recovery for a little bit longer than I had, you know, hoped just because you have to stay there until you have feeling back. So, again, they do that um, cold test where they put ice on you. Yes. And they like you to be able to get to the point where it's cold on your belly. Okay. So cold on your chest, kind of your boob area, and then just below your boob. They like it to be cold there. It doesn't have to be cold for your legs, but they do like you to be able to wiggle your toes and then lift up each leg just slightly. Yeah. So they were just kind of waiting for that. Um, so because that was taking a little bit longer to wear off, I suppose, they had said, look, we're going to have to move Bubs up to your room because I think the midwife, like, obviously she had other jobs and stuff to do, so she couldn't just stay there. So she's like, look, we're going to have to take Bubs up to the room. Um, like, Jared will come with me and you'll, you'll stay here. And so, yeah, Jared went with Um, Hallie and with the midwife and they went up to our room and then oh I should mention that I did have a student midwife who followed my pregnancy and she came to all of my appointments and stuff which she was allowed to even with COVID she was allowed to but then because of COVID she wasn't allowed to come into the c-section okay yeah so she actually wasn't allowed to be part of the birth itself but 
she was allowed to be in the hospital and so she was in the room waiting for us when we got back, which was really lovely. And by the time I got back up to my room, she was helping Jared put a nappy on and dress bubs, which was really cute. Yeah. And so how long were you in hospital for before you left and went home? So I just stayed in overnight and I went home the next day. So I probably went home, I think it was just after lunch. So I reckon it was probably about 1 or 2 p.m. So, yeah, it was about 24 hours after I had had Hallie. Hallie was born 12.30ish, I think, mm-hmm. around that sort of time. And, yeah, I reckon I went home at about 1 or 2 the next day. Oh, yeah, so about just over 24 hours. Um. I actually found it a lot better than I was expecting. I mean, everyone has different pain thresholds and I'm sure everyone recovers differently. Um, Obviously, it depends on the situation of the C-section too. Like mine was a planned C-section. I hadn't, you know, been through labour. It wasn't an emergency or anything like that. Um, And the procedure itself was very straightforward. They said they were really happy with the way that it went. But, yeah, they said the procedure went really well. They were expecting that I would have a good recovery just because, you know, I was young, fit, healthy. Um, And I did, I think. Like I, yeah, I honestly expected to be a lot more sore than I was. But I just had normal Panadol and Nurofen while I was in hospital. They did offer codeine, but I said no because that does play up with me. Like it does make me feel a bit sick and give me headaches and stuff. So I didn't really want to take it unless I really had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I found that the pain was manageable with Panadol and Nurofen. So I just did that. Um, I pretty much was in bed, like in my bed um, for the first day. So I didn't get out of bed until the next day. Um, the next morning, yeah, I got up and had a shower Mm -hmm. Um, and then the anaesthetist came around just to check the site of the spinal, make sure that, you know, there wasn't any signs of infection or anything there, make sure that I could walk, move my legs, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then, yeah, it was just like a waiting game as to when I could get discharged. I had to wait for Hallie to have her hearing test done I had to wait for the paediatrician to come over and do all of their checks and, yeah, basically clear us for discharge. And then you had midwives come out to the house and things like that? Yeah, yep. So the home midwives came out every second day. So they come out the day after you leave hospital. Um, And then they came out every second day um, until one week. And then, yeah, after one week they were happy with everything. So... They would check my C-section scar and make sure that was all, uh, you know, reco- like healing properly, looking okay, wasn't like oozing or anything like that. Um, and check like obviously my blood loss. Um, and, yeah, at the one-week point they took the dressing off of my C-section scar and said, you know, you don't need to have a dressing on it anymore. Just make sure that you keep the site clean and dry. Um, right. Well, let's jump to your second pregnancy now, Britt, because you've had two, so you've got a bit of a frame to compare them. Before we get started, though, was there an ideal gap between Remy and Hallie? Was Remy planned? She wasn't a surprise or? 
Yeah, so we had kind of discussed that our sort of, um, I guess, ideal age gap would be between two and three. Um, I guess, you know, in a way there's no perfect age gap. I think, um, you know, whatever the age gap is, there's going to be challenges. Um, So, yeah, we had kind of said um, by the time Hallie turned two, we were kind of starting to think, okay, we might be ready to have another one now. No, sorry, turned one, not two. By the time she turned one, we kind of were thinking about, um, you know, are we going to have another one? Are we ready to have another yeah. one? And I remember saying to Jared around Hallie's first birthday, like, do you feel like you're ready to have another one yet? And he said, no, not yet. And I said, no, I don't feel ready yet either, but I feel like probably in a couple of months' time I will be. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, let's, you know, kind of reassess in a few months. And so then a couple months went by and I kind of said to him look you know if we started trying now it would be about a two-year age gap and I think ideally I would like a two to three year age gap and he kind of agreed I think because him and his brother are about two years apart so he was kind of like yeah I think I think that would be good you know two to three years Um, and so I said well should we start trying at the two-year age gap mark and see how long it takes us because you never know what's going to happen it might take a while like it did with Hallie or it might you know you might have a miscarriage that then sets you back a little bit or you just never know what's going to happen yeah so yeah we had kind of decided to start trying at that point and I actually didn't get my period back like postpartum with Hallie until I had finished breastfeeding and so I think I was about 13 months postpartum before I got my period because yeah it took about a month after I stopped breastfeeding yeah yeah so yeah so kind of had to wait for that um and then waited for a few cycles so I could kind of you know see if it was regular see what it was doing and yeah it kind of it was back to my you know, kind of long cycles of about 35 to 37 days. Yeah. And how long were you trying to conceive Remy for? Well, I guess it was probably about five months because there's a two-year, five-month age gap between the girls. Yeah. So, yeah, we kind of started trying at that two-year point. But in saying that, I feel like the first probably two months we weren't really – trying too hard it wasn't until you know those two months kind of went by and it didn't happen that I started you know kind of getting in my head a little bit and being like well why hasn't it happened so then I started to get I guess more into that planning mode where I was like okay my app says that I'm supposed to be ovulating now like you know we need to have sex on this day we need to have sex on this day And I think Jared was actually getting really annoyed at me because for anyone that's, you know, planned pregnancy, you know that sex becomes more like a chore. Like it's it's a bit sad actually because, you know, sex is supposed to be one of those things that, you know, is an intimate moment between you and your partner and you do it because you want to, whereas this started to feel more like a chore. Like I was saying to Jared, you need to have sex with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, like a spontaneous in the moment thing. Yeah. 
Um, so I think that was taking its toll on both of us a little bit too. And yeah, it got to the point where my periods were a little bit all over the place. So one cycle, they would be 35 days. Then one cycle, they would be 28 days. Then it would go back to 37, then 28, then, you know, back to 35. So I was kind of like, what are you doing? Like, do you want to be a 28-day cycle? Do you want to be a 35-day cycle? Yes, exactly. So obviously that made the tracking for my app not very accurate for when I was actually ovulating. Yeah. So I got some ovulation tests and I started doing them. And I had also got a blood test from my doctor. So my my doctor said, look, let's check your progesterone Um because usually when you have long cycles like that, it's because you have low progesterone. So she said, we like to test it at day 21. So on day 21 of your cycle, get this blood test done. Mm-hmm. And then I went and got the blood test done. And I had, I by then you're supposed to have already ovulated. So what happens is you usually ovula- ovulate around day 14-ish and then... By day 21, you should have really high progesterone. Mm-hmm. And so my test results came back and my progesterone was basically non-existent. Oh, wow. And so that was a clear indication that ovulation hadn't occurred yet. And I was at this point, I was doing the ovulation tests and I know that I hadn't ovulated yet because I was doing those tests. And it was actually the day after, I think, so day 22, that I got the positive ovulation test. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I went to my doctor and she said, yeah, look, like your levels were really low, um, you probably hadn't ovulated yet. And I said, yeah, I actually had a positive ovulation test the day after. And she goes, oh, well, that makes sense then. She said, look, I think just keep using the ovulation tests and, if that doesn't work, we will look into it further. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I used them and, yeah, luckily that, yeah, that worked. Yeah. And then we're able to conceive her. How did you know that you were pregnant? Were there any signs or were you waiting to test knowing, obviously, when you ovulated and things? Yeah, yep. So... There was no real, I guess, pregnancy signs for Remy um, other than, yeah, I was waiting to test. So I was waiting for my period to be late um, because my period was, yeah, notoriously a long cycle. I was kind of waiting for it to be over 35 days before I tested. Um, And I kind of, like, I had known well, from when I got that positive pregnancy, um, sorry, ovulation test, that um, I should probably wait about two weeks after that. So, yeah, I think I did a pregnancy test maybe two weeks, one day after that positive ovulation. And, yeah, it was positive. It was a very faint positive. So, obviously, I was still pretty early. Um, but yeah, it was positive. And then I did a, one of those digital ones that tells you like two to three weeks or whatever. Um, and I think the first one that I did said, yeah, like one to two weeks. So it was still very early. Yeah. So still very early from when you ovulated and things like that. Yeah. 
And how did you feel once you found out that you were pregnant? Um, I was excited. I mean, I think because it had taken us a couple of months, I was excited that it finally happened because, like I said, I was starting to get a little bit in my head about it all. Like, why isn't this happening? Why is my period cycle so irregular and all over the place? Um, I had actually found out um, about a month or so prior that my brother and his partner were expecting a baby and so yeah it was about two months actually two months beforehand I think so yeah I think that made me want to get pregnant even more because I was like oh they're having a baby you know like it'll be so nice to have our babies close in age and like obviously they were going to be close in age anyway but um yeah I think that just yeah made me really want it even more yeah and just really try and get things going (laughs) yep and how kind of what happened from there once you found out you were pregnant was it a very similar process to what happened with Hallie yeah yep so very similar so I went to my doctor obviously she knew my history and so yeah I said to her look we want to do the harmony test again and yeah she was on board with everything um and yeah she basically she gave me um, a form for the dating scan. She told me to do it at eight weeks again. Um, this, I guess, was particularly important this time round because we were kind of guessing based on the ovulation test that I did of when my due date would be. So I couldn't use my last period because it was way out. Mm-hmm. So if we used my last period, it probably would have said that I was two weeks ahead from what I actually was. Um, so we kind of, um, yeah, she put in like the positive ovulation test date, um, and it came out with a due date of, I think the 19th of November. Um, and then, yeah, when I had my dating scan, we actually found out that in fact, I was measuring a little bit behind that even. Um, so yeah, then my due date got changed, um, I think it was about five days difference. And now you said earlier that obviously you had made the decision that every pregnancy from your first one, you were going to have a harmony test. Did you do that with Remy? Yes, we did. Yep. So we did that again. So yeah, we did that at 10 weeks again. Again, we wanted to find out the gender. So we found out the gender then as well. Um, I tried to talk Jared into having a surprise, but he said no. He wanted to know and be prepared. Um, so yeah, and I'm glad that I did because I honestly don't think I would have been able to last the entire pregnancy with not knowing. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess, especially being a stenographer, like you wouldn't have been able to scan yourself. Yeah. There's just, yeah, there's too much temptation at work. (laughs) Well, and I guess you would have known what you were looking for as well in scans. If you were getting scanned by somebody else at like a regular check, you would have been like, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the process with Remy was very similar to Hallie. Like everything was very straightforward. I didn't have any issues with Remy. Um, everything was low risk. All of our tests came back normal. Um, yeah, I didn't have, you know, gestational diabetes or anything like that. The only thing that was different was I had low iron. So I needed to have a iron transfusion at 37 weeks. Yeah. And were your pregnancy symptoms, I guess, the same? Were 
did you have some similar ones to Hallie or were they a little bit different? No, very similar, very similar. And I think this is why I thought it was a girl again, because I felt very, very similar to Hallie. And I know that that's no indication. Like some people have completely chalk and cheese pregnancies and they have the same gender. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's absolutely no indication, but I just had a gut feeling that it was another girl. Yeah. And I guess kind of then comparing all three, I know your first pregnancy obviously ended in a loss, but were the symptoms fairly similar throughout all your pregnancies then? Yes and no. I think with my first pregnancy, I felt really good. Like I felt um, not very sick. I did not have anywhere near as bad of nausea as I did with the girls. So, yeah, for my first pregnancy, I, I did have a little bit of nausea, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. Like I never felt like I, you know, wanted to spew. I wasn't dry reaching or anything like that, whereas with the girls I was. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, with that first one, I, I felt like my skin was really healthy and glowy and stuff like that, whereas the girls, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like I had a pregnancy glow at all. And I actually did have a skin condition with the girls, like on my face, where I got like the red coloured you know, the, I can't remember what it's called, but like that oh, pigmentation um, thing. Yeah, I know what you mean now. Yeah, so I had that with both girls. So, yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I had a pregnancy glow with them. No, so it was a little bit different. A little kind bit different. different. Some similarities and some differences. Yeah. And so I guess now moving from here, so your pregnancy was pretty smooth sailing, you said, is that right? Yeah, yeah, pretty smooth. The only issue that I had was high blood pressure towards the end, which I did have with Hallie too. But I think because with Hallie, I didn't have as many appointments close to the end because I actually had her at 38.5. So I didn't have as many, you know, of those end very late pregnancy appointments. They, like it wasn't so much of an issue. Whereas with Remy, Pretty much, yeah, every single time I went in for an appointment, they were saying, your blood pressure's high. We need to do, you know, the four-hour monitoring, so you're going to have to stay here. And I was like, oh, not again. Like, I know that obviously it's a flag for preeclampsia and, you know, obviously I wanted to know if I had that. But um, every time that I did the monitoring and I did all of the tests, it always came back that everything was fine, no preeclampsia. Oh, wow. So you're just sitting there all the time. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, I reckon I had probably about four day stays where I had to be there for like four hours to do all of the testing and the blood pressure monitoring. And yeah, the last one was actually two days before Remy was born and they started talking about, so that was my very last midwife appointment. And yeah, again, the high blood pressure. Um, So yeah, had to do the day stay had to do all the tests again and then they actually started talking about taking her then and there like on that day they were like oh how do you feel about having a baby today and I was like I don't have anything with me I didn't even have my husband with me he was at work (laughs) so anything I need yeah I was like um well like when will this happen because you know I'll need to get someone to bring all my stuff up and then yeah they were kind of like look let's just wait until all of the bloods come back 
and then yeah we'll go from there so then when everything came back again I'm pretty sure everything was fairly normal they came in and they spoke to me and they said look you know um your c-section is booked in for Wednesday this was a Monday um it's only you know two days away so let's just leave it at that um but if you feel sick or anything like that in the meantime make sure you come straight up Mm-hmm. And how many times did you get checked? Did you say at the hospital? I think it was probably about four times. And then I even had to go up postpartum as well. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So the day after I came home, so the first midwife that came out and checked, she, because they had put a note on my file about the high blood pressure, she was like, look, you know, we should check your blood pressure. And she checked it and it was high. And actually on this day, I felt unwell I think it was sinuses like hay fever um but I had a really bad splitting headache and was quite sensitive to light and so yeah she was like look I'm really sorry but I'm gonna have to send you in there so I had to go back to the hospital and yeah do all the tests and stuff again and again everything came back um yeah normal and they basically just discharged me and said we want you to follow this up with your GP so um yeah at your um two week or six week check with you and bubs just um tell your GP get her to monitor your blood pressure and go from there and yeah when my GP did my blood pressure she said it was normal okay well that's good then at least there were no serious complications then after birth no no yeah so apart from that like yeah everything was really easy and really straightforward with Remy and I guess obviously with Hallie you had a cesarean so what was kind of your birth plan with Remy did you want to try for a VBAC or were you going to have a cesarean straight away yeah so I think I definitely did want to try for a VBAC I had gone in there saying like yes I'd like to have a VBAC if that's you know possible but I do not want to put my baby or myself at risk just for the sake of having a vaginal birth so like obviously if you've already had a c-section there are um, you know slightly higher risks of needing another c-section um, and you know if you did go through labor it would then become an emergency c-section Mm-hmm. So they kind of said to me, look, these are the risks um, and the risks were different depending on when you gave birth. So if you were over your due date, over 40, risk, 40 weeks, sorry, the risk became significantly um, more for um, uterus rupture and also for needing, you know, just a C-section in general. Um, and then... Also, the risk was a bit more increased if I was to have an induction rather than a spontaneous labour. So, yeah, I had basically said to them, like, look, um, how long will you give me to go into labour spontaneously? And they said 40 plus 3 would be our recommendation. I mean, obviously I could have said no. I could have said I want to go for as long as it takes. You know, Mm -hmm. you can always decline their medical opinion, like, you know, your body, your decision sort of thing. But that just wasn't me. That's not what I wanted to do. I, um, yeah, like I said, I just, the main 
um, goal for me was just for me and Bubs to be healthy. So uh, I said, look, I'm, they said, how, how long are you happy for us to, you know, like when do you want us to book a C-section? And I said, I am happy if you give me to my due date to go into labour spontaneously. And they said, okay, we'll put the paperwork in for a C-section, but obviously if you go into labour spontaneously before then, you won't need it, but we'll just put the paperwork in um, and they will schedule it for somewhere around your due date. And then when I got the um, appointment letter back, it was for exactly on my due date. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so the plan was if I went into spontaneous labour before then, I would try a vaginal birth. But if not, I didn't want to be induced. I just wanted to have the planned C-section. Yeah. And just for anyone that doesn't know, because I know we just use the term VBAC straight away, that is vaginal vaginal birth, sorry, after a cesarean. That's just an acronym <laughs> that's yes. used for it. Um, and so... Did you have a vaginal birth or did you have a C-section with Remy? No, I had a C-section. So, yeah, I guess um, leading up to obviously by due date, I was trying to do things to try and bring on labour, bouncing on my bowl, curb walking, just going for long walks in general, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. I was doing some exercises. Um, I looked up, like I was Googling, you know, like different movements and stuff to try and, um, bring on labor and yeah. they my midwife had said to me because they knew that I wanted to try a v-back they were pretty um, I guess keen on trying to help me go into labor spontaneously mm-hmm. so they had agreed to try a stretch and sweep at one of my appointments that was about 38 weeks yeah and so obviously 38 weeks is pretty early for them to do a stretch and sweep yeah, yeah, it is. So they were kind of like, look, we will try and we'll see if we can do it. If we can't, we can't, but we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll try. And so, yeah, they had, actually, I think I was close to 39. I, I think I was about 38 and a half maybe. And so, yeah, they did an internal examination and they said, look, you know, the cervix is feeling soft but it's still posterior and it's not open so we can't do anything mm-hmm. and when I left that appointment I felt really disheartened I started to feel like it wasn't going to happen like I wasn't going to go into labor because I was like you know I'm not dilated like my body's not ready but yeah they were like look this is not uncommon especially since you have never had a vaginal birth before you know, your cervix has never actually opened before or dilated before. Yeah. So she said, you know, basically this is kind of like a first pregnancy and a lot of people don't give birth um, until like even after their due date. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so even though I was disheartened, I was trying to trying to be positive about things and I think it made it worse because my family and stuff were saying to me how low I was carrying compared to Hallie oh yeah the entire way through this pregnancy they were saying oh you're so low like you're carrying so much differently to Hallie like with Hallie you were very high and maybe it was just because she was breached I don't know 
but yeah like they were like no there's no way you're gonna make it to full term like not like she's so low but she was never ever engaged because you know how they check how many fifths they are or whatever yeah all of that just kind of got me a little bit disheartened but I just yeah I ended up saying if it's meant to be it will be and if not Mm -hmm. it won't yeah and then so obviously she didn't make her way out naturally so you had to go for a cesarean yeah yep so she didn't want to come on her own she was being a little bit stubborn in there so um yeah she got forced out um yeah just by a scheduled c-section and was your cesarean experience similar with both babies or were there any differences? No, yeah, very similar. The whole process was pretty similar really. Um, the only difference was I felt like the C-section with Remy took longer. There was a student obstetrician there. Um, so I don't know if it was just because they were obviously trying to let her do a lot of it like she was doing the stitching up and stuff and I could hear them talking her through things mm-hmm. um so I don't know if it was just a slower process because of that but I definitely felt like I was lying there for a lot longer like it felt longer for them to get her out and also longer for them to stitch me up yeah and yeah a massive difference was that Remy had hair and Hallie was bold <laughs> and Hallie was for reference Hallie was bald for a long time. For like two years. <laughs> She's only really just kind of gone here. Yes. Yep. So yeah, me and Jared were honestly, we were in shock when um, they had started to pull her out, but like we couldn't see because the sheet was up and the anaesthetist was like peeping over and he was like, oh yeah, like she's almost out. Like I can see some hair. And I was like, hair, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can see some hair there. And then, yeah, when they lowered the sheet and they held her up, she looked exactly like Hallie, just with hair. And I think they actually don't look very similar. Well, I don't think so. They are definitely quite different. But I think in that moment, because she was crying, she had the same cry face that Hallie had when she came out. Um, so yeah, I just thought, oh my God, she's just like Hallie with hair. But then, you know, once they cleaned her up a bit and put her on my chest and once I got back to my room and I could really look at her and stuff, I was like, actually, you don't look like Hallie at all. They're kind of similar, but uh, they definitely look like different. They definitely yeah. look different. Yeah. Well, I think everyone always says that Hallie's a mini Jared. So yeah, oh, she's yeah. just a little, little daddy. And I think Remy looks like more me and my side of the family yeah I definitely agree I guess with the hair thing did you have any like reflux or anything acid reflux or anything like that because I know that it's like an old wives tale if you've got reflux your baby has hair and I know Olivia had hair because that was the first thing that Jay said was she has hair and (laughs) I had such bad reflux and people get saying to me baby she's got hair Did you have anything like that? Yeah, I did. I did have reflux, but I had reflux with Hallie too and she was completely bold. So, yeah, I'm not sure how much I trusted that. And was your recovery from the cesarean similar to Hallie's as well? Yeah, uh, it was definitely – I definitely felt it more this time round. I don't know if it was because, you know, like obviously I was a couple of years older – 
Um, I wasn't as fit and healthy as I was when I had Hallie. Like before I had Hallie, obviously I didn't have any kids. So I had all of that time to focus on myself. I was going to the gym a lot. I was working full time. Um, You know, I didn't have another human to take care of. Whereas this time with Remy, I was only working part time. So two days a week um, I was with Hallie. So you're active in different ways. Like I wasn't really working out or going to the gym, but obviously I was running around and playing with a toddler. So, yeah, just active in a different way, but I definitely didn't feel, you know, as fit and strong and healthy like I did before Hallie. So I definitely think that impacted it and I felt more sore with Remy. Like even mum made a comment that when I came home from the hospital this time round, I seemed like I was a lot more sore than when I came home with Hallie. Mm. So, yeah, I felt like, you know, I still felt really good by the two-week mark. Um, So I didn't have a long recovery or anything like that. But, yeah, those first couple of days I definitely did feel a lot more sore. Yeah, And were you in hospital for very long? No, the same period of time. So, yeah, just about 24 hours, just went, went home the next day. And to be honest, that was my choice. Like they did say, you know, you can stay an extra night if you want to, like how are you feeling? But I was pretty pe- keen to obviously get home and see Hallie and, um, yeah, I didn't really want to. That was kind of the first time that I had ever left Hallie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty keen for her to meet her little sister and just be at home in the comfort of my own environment. And it honestly, it's hard being in hospital. I don't know why people want to stay there for like five days because I feel like it's easier being at home, especially if you do have, you know, someone like your mum or even a friend or they even offer um, actually at the hospital um, those mother carers. Is that what they're called? Oh, yeah, mother carers, yep. Yeah, so, yeah, if you didn't have much support, maybe you could get one of them. But I just found being in my own space was easier because I felt like I had more help because, you know, like when you're in hospital, they say push the button if you need anything and you push the button and they don't come for half an hour, sometimes an hour, depending on how busy they are. And by the time they do come, you've already gotten up and done what you wanted them to do or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then you kind of just want to be in your own environment by that point as well. Yeah, yeah. I just found it much easier to just be at home and, yeah. Yeah, and Remy was able to breastfeed. You didn't have any issues with Remy either? No, yep. So she um, breastfed pretty well. Um, I feel like probably second time round, I didn't have... um, Like I felt like I probably knew what I was doing a little bit more, I suppose, because I had been through it before. Um, So that probably helped. But, yeah, no latch issues or anything like that. I definitely have had a different breastfeeding journey this time round. But, yeah, we could – honestly, we could probably talk about that in its own episode. We could talk about all of our breastfeeding journeys. Um, in an episode I'm sure 100% 100% it could be a whole conversation honestly (laughs) yeah it's like a whole thing it's a bit like sleep yeah that's right (laughs) well thank you so much for sharing your story with us you've definitely had like 
a very unique experience, I think, just with how you've gone from your first pregnancy right through to having Remy. And we don't know if there'll be another one. So <laughs> I think it's been a very unique experience, yours. I think pregnancy is unique for everybody, but your, specials, your story has just definitely been so special in how it's all progressed along the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Stay tuned for a third and we'll see what happens. <laughs> God, who knows at this point? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Britt, for sharing what your pregnancy experiences and birth experiences were like with your two girls. I think it was so nice being able to hear kind of how your pregnancies and births progressed, particularly after your loss and how all your pregnancies were kind of similar or different, but then also kind of your experience with caesareans as well and trying to have a VBAC. I think just hearing your whole story all together was just an amazing roundabout way to get to the end where we are right now. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it was, yeah, really nice to share the story with everyone. And I think it also lets um, all of you guys feel like you know me and am a bit better once you hear our stories and how we got to become mothers, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think it's been a heck of a journey. I think it's really cool actually reliving your pregnancies and stuff as well. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to kind of like go back to it and just it's almost like a little debrief, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it feels like it was so long ago as well, especially with Hallie now that she's three. Yeah, exactly. It's just exactly. <laughs> But yeah, as always, if there's anything else that you guys want us to talk about, um, feel free to let us know over on our Instagram or by email or just leaving some questions or a review um, below. And if you want to share your birth story, please let us know. We would be happy to have you on the podcast talking about your experience with your little one. We definitely want to hear yours as well. Thanks for listening, um, guys. Yeah, thank you. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you want to. And if not, that's cool too. Bye. <laughs> Bye.